Welcome to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. This is the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. Every week we have a different guest talking about their apostolate, the exciting different ways they're sharing the faith, evangelizing, uh, helping the poor, helping the needy, building up the church. Maybe they tell their conversion story. We have musicians, artists, many different guests on this program. Today, my guest is Father Bart Leon from Greenville, South Carolina, who is working as a hospital chaplain, but also working as the pastor of the local Maronite church. Father Bart, welcome to More Christianity. Well, thank you, Father. Glad to be here with you. Now, Father Bart, you were previously a Benedictine monk in Texas, and you have also become a pastor of the Maronite congregation, celebrating Mass in the Maronite liturgy. First of all, can you tell our listeners what is the Maronite liturgy? A lot of people might not even be familiar with it at all. Well, I get that question a lot. First of all, the main thing I should say is the Maronite liturgy is the Mass, but it's the Mass that is celebrated according to the Syrio-Antiochian liturgy, not the Roman liturgy that most of us as born and raised Latin Catholics would be familiar with. So Latin has never been our liturgical language, but it's actually Syriac. Whoa. So this is the Syrio-Antiochian liturgy, and you say the language that you're using is actually Syriac. This is a, a liturgy that comes from the ancient land of Syria? Yes, and the the language is actually Syriac, and the Antiochian is that we're from Antioch, which is the first place that St. Peter went to found the church when he left Jerusalem before he went to Rome. So we're an older sister of the Church of Rome. Right, because in the Acts of the Apostles, it says Peter went first to Antioch, which is just north of Jerusalem in Galilee. Is that correct? Correct. Isn't that where they said that uh, they, they were first, they called, were first Christians. called Christians in Antioch? And so Peter, before he was the Bishop of Rome, was the Bishop of Antioch. Of Antioch. And so we have a patriarch of the church who is a cardinal, and his name is always taken Peter as a middle name. So our present patriarch, his baptismal name is Bashara, which is blessed. Mm-hmm. And he is then known as Bashara Peter. And so we always invoke him right after the Pope. So we say for Francis, the Pope of Rome, then Bashara Peter, our patriarch, and then Gregory, our bishop. So does Bashara Peter have a special name, a sort of title before? Is he His Holiness or Your Excellency? His Beatitude. His Beatitude, Bashara Peter, Patriarch of Antioch. Right. That's pretty impressive. That is, and he's a cardinal patriarch. He's one of the closest ones seated to the Pope because he's one of those five ancient patriarchal sees. So help our listeners here. The five ancient patriarchal sees. One was Antioch. Well, the first would be Jerusalem, Jerusalem. because Christ founded the church in Jerusalem. Right. Then he appointed Peter as the chief of the apostles, the first among equals. And Peter himself left Jerusalem went to Antioch, established the church there, and then once the church was established, then went to the See of Rome. And so when he establishes the church there, that becomes another church. We believe that St. Mark 
went to Alexandria, Egypt. So another and apostle. Mark was Peter's disciple. Peter's disciple. So he went to Alexandria, Alexandria in Egypt. Alexandria founds the church there. Right. And then Andrew is believed to have gone to Constantinople and establishing the church there. All so, with, again with another connection with Peter because Andrew's Peter's brother. Exactly. Is the idea that Peter actually sent Mark to Alexandria and sent Andrew to Constantinople? It, or that's, that's really not, not clear. But we know that as disciples of Peter, they did go and as apostles. So we call these the five ancient patriarchal sees because they're apostolic in foundation. And so because of that, those are the sees, the, the churches, the early churches that have the most primacy. And so whenever those bishops got together, that was seen as the church coming together, but always understanding that Peter was the first among equals. And is there an equivalent to Bashara Peter for Jerusalem, Alexandria, and Constantinople? There are, and especially the Latin patriarch of Jerusalem is recognized as a patriarch, and even as an archbishop, still has the title of Beatitude. And Alexandria and Constantinople? Yes, but we also recognize, after the split among the Orthodox, we recognize the patriarch of Constantinople as what we call the ecumenical patriarch, and he and I share the same name, Bartholomew. But the church in Constantinople, the Eastern, the Greek Orthodox Church, is not technically in full communion with it's the Holy See. in full communion, no. But we recognize them as a sister church because we were one church until the split. And that's in, why when Pope Francis or Pope Benedict met with the patriarch of Constantinople, Bartholomew, there were headlines, weren't there? Peter greets Andrew. And so this ancient relationship of two brothers, Peter and Andrew, sharing those two ancient ancient seas. That's fascinating. But the Maronites have continued to this day with their own liturgy and with their own patriarch. And the Maronites then are what we call one of the Eastern Rite churches. Is Eastern that Eastern Rite church, but we're not a uniate church, which is very important. The Uniate churches are usually churches that were founded from these ancient churches, broke away, joined the Orthodox Church, and then came back into communion with Rome. But the Maronites have never left full communion with Rome. Say that again. The Uniates were those who had left and been separated from Separated from Rome, the Church of Rome. But over the years of history have come back come into back, full communion. Come back, yes. And are there other ancient churches of the Middle East, which, like the Maronites, the We're communion? the only unbroken line, like the Melkites, or a Greek yes. church. The Melkites broke away, went to Orthodoxy, but then returned. The Eastern Rite churches, as I understand them, are ancient churches of the Middle East with their own ancient liturgy, usually, with their own ethnic customs, obviously, with their own languages, very often ancient languages, some of them which are now dead languages, but which they maintain in the liturgy. And they're in communion with the Pope. What are the other Eastern Rite churches in addition to the Maronites? Okay, the, some of the biggest ones would be the Ruthenians, which are Slavic, basically Russian-speaking people. The Ruthenians. Ruthenians. Mm -hmm. And then Ukrainian Catholics, Melkite Catholics, which are Arabic-speaking. Then you have the Indian groups, the Syro-Malabar, the Malabaresians. There's a Syrio-Albanian, Italio. There's a bunch of them that are very small uh -huh. that, again, come from breakoffs of these bigger churches, but yet still maintain their own independent status, but united to the Church of Rome. So, for instance, there might be a, a church in Albania which years ago had gone to the Eastern Orthodox 
and a certain number of them break away and return to communion. And they keep their ancient language and liturgy, but they keep everything. Right. But instead of saying the Patriarch of Moscow or whatever, then they include the Bishop of Rome. This is very interesting with the different Eastern Rite churches, some that have broken away and gone to the Eastern Orthodox, come back again. All of this area of history and church history and political history is very complex and difficult. Are all of these Eastern Rite churches, do they exist now in the United States and other places around the world, or are they only in their home countries? No, they exist, especially here in the United States, but also they've crossed boundaries. Because just today I had a young man who came to the church, and he is from Jordan, but was very familiar with the Maronite church that had started a community in Amman, Jordan. But Jordan is primarily Latin Catholic. So these churches have spread even within the Middle East. But the biggest uh, movement of these churches has been, of course, North America, the United States, Canada. But before we were an eparchy here in the United States, our diocese, Brazil was a complete eparchy. And the Bishop of Brazil in the early 70s was named the Bishop of the United States. That was Archbishop Francis Zayek. So he left an established diocese, came to the United States to found the diocese here. So if I can get my head around this, you've got people from Syria who over the years, because of perhaps persecution or just economic interests, have emigrated to various parts of the world. They've taken their culture, their language, their customs, and their religion, and they've wanted to just carry on as as Maronite Catholics. Exactly. They uh, bring, just like every other uh, ethnic group to this country, not only did they bring themselves, but they brought their culture, their food, their language, but they also brought their religious faith, and then when it was opportune, they brought their own priest. You talked about an eparchy. That's basically a, a Maronite diocese, or what we might think of as an archdiocese, very often covering a large area. Who sets this up? Is this set up by the Vatican? Is there a special group who administers all of this? Yes. The Vatican is involved because it's outside of what we call the patriarchal territory. So in the Middle East, if the patriarch and his synod of bishops decide they want to found a second diocese in Syria or Lebanon, they just do it. They vote and they establish it, and then they elect a bishop, they consecrate him, and they just tell Rome. But here in the United States... Outside of the patriarchal territories, then Rome becomes involved. And so Rome will work with the founding church. And if they say, we really need another diocese on the West Coast or in the South or something, Rome will work with them because they understand that we know our own need. So the Maronite church, like the other Eastern Rite churches, have a certain amount of autonomy. But depending where they are around the world, they're going to run things through Rome. Right. Presumably so that they don't have conflicts with the Latin church and with the other Eastern Rite churches. Exactly, exactly. So in the United States, we've got the Maronite eparchy. I think your bishop here is based in Brooklyn, in New Brooklyn. York. In Brooklyn, New York. And here you are in South Carolina. Yeah, well, I'm a New Orleanian, so okay, I have so. nothing to do with that. <laughs> You're listening to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. Today my guest is Abuna Bart, Father Bart, the pastor of our local Maronite congregation here in Greenville, South Carolina. It's one of the newest Catholic churches in the diocese, and Father Bart has worked with the Maronite congregation to establish St. Rafka's Maronite Church here in South Carolina. Father Bart, before we talk about your local congregation a little bit, help us to understand the, the Maronite Church in the rest of the United States. Is it just one eparchy or one diocese, if you like? No, there's more than one. We were established as one eparchy in 1971, 
and Archbishop Francis Zayek was appointed as the eparch or the this bishop. This is the one who was in Brazil. Yes, he was in mm. Brazil, came here, and then appointed the first bishop. And then over time, because the United States is pretty big and our congregations were scattered, and we were about 50 parishes at that point when Archbishop Zayek got here. But This is the, the church, early 1970s. The early 1970s. Okay. The first parish was in Boston. Mm-hmm. And the diocese established primarily on the East Coast and then towards the middle of the country, towards Ohio, Pennsylvania. And then the West Coast began growing very rapidly because a lot of Lebanese immigrants went to the California area. So those three clusters until the early 80s, late 80s, then Florida began to blossom. And so our biggest growth right now in our eparchy is in Florida. But then in, I want to say, 93, 94, second eparchy was established. So we call it of the West. It was initially founded at Los Angeles, but then it's transferred several years ago to St. Raymond's Cathedral in uh, St. Louis is now the seat. And they're on their third bishop now. The new bishop was just consecrated and installed last year. With the problems in the Middle East, we hear from organizations like Aid to the Church in Need and Kanewa and various organizations about the terrible problems that Christians are experiencing in the Middle East. As they flee the Middle East, and I know many are, if they can get out, they are getting out, they're coming to the United States. Is that mostly where they're headed, or are they going all over the world, Australia, Britain, and and elsewhere? There's a big eparchy of Maronites based in Australia, but it's only one eparchy for that entire country. Here in the United States, it's been much more diverse. Our people seem to be very welcoming to to Americans and to people of other linguistic groups coming to their churches, where the Australian church is seen basically just as a Lebanese church. So when you say Lebanese... The church is basically founded are based in Berkey, Lebanon. And so okay. the Maronites are the official state religion of Lebanon. So predominantly Lebanese, although we talk about Syria and the, the Syrian, Syriac language and the Syrian liturgy, this is really a, a Lebanese It's a Lebanese pheno- phenomenon. phenomenon. Okay. Politically Church. and ethnically, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's Lebanese. Now, of all the Eastern Rite churches that have moved away from the Middle East now around the world, are the Maronites the major group, or are some of the others larger? No, some of the other ones are larger. The Chaldean Catholics from Iraq are quite big, and so they have two dioceses here in the United States also. One is based in um, Detroit, and the other one's out in California. Mm-hmm. But Iraq had has, has always had, basically since the time of the Apostles, churches, Christian churches. And we hear how these churches are now being torched and desecrated and, and, and desecrated and, and burnt by radical Islamic factions. Mm-hmm. And so the Christians from the Middle East are finding a refuge here and finding a warm welcome amongst Catholics. They Latin are. Catholics mm-hmm. for the most part. Yes, they are. Good. And a lot of them, if they're not familiar, if they don't know about a church of their own, they will migrate to the Latin Catholic churches and they've been received. Just today, I was saying about a young man came who's Jordanian. He's been going to Mass over at um, St. Mary Magdalene and Father Philip Wadicki said, oh, well, there is an Arabic-speaking church here in town. So he told him, he looked it up on his telephone and drove out to see us. 
And so you're able to welcome these immigrants and, and people coming to the United States where they get a little bit of their culture, their customs, and find some friendly families and, exactly. and a warm welcome. And that's a, a great work of mercy considering the great hardships people are going through with the persecution of the church in the Middle East. Now, Father Bart, when it comes to the actual liturgy that you celebrate, you say that it's celebrated in Syriac, but also in Arabic, and there's portions of Aramaic, Aramaic in there. yes. Tell us about that. I mean, it, it's a very beautiful liturgy. The music is beautiful, and the language is beautiful. The gestures are, are symbolic and, and rich and, and deep. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the linguistic differences? Well, in the church that we belong to, the Latin rite, the official liturgical language is Latin, but you have the option to celebrate it in English, French, or Spanish, whatever country you're living in. The same thing with the Maronites. The official liturgical language is Syriac. Most of the texts, though, are sent out in Arabic, and then they're translated once they arrive in this country. The bishops and the scholars that work with them will translate them into English. So in our particular pew, we have a big book that has the prayers in English and in Arabic on both sides. And so people who come from the old country, some of the older people who don't speak English at all, can follow along. So where does the Syriac fit in? The Syriac is, again, the official liturgical language, but it's just used sparingly. So it's kind of like a dead language. It it is. It's a dead language, as is Aramaic, because we sing the, the words of what we call in the Latin liturgy, the consecration, the words over the bread and the cup. We sing those in Aramaic. In the can you sing theme. them for us now, or uh, just a little bit? Well, I can sing. Kadish, and it goes on and on. And it's the language of Christ. Father Bart was just singing some of the words of consecration from the Maronite rite in Aramaic which is the language that Jesus spoke. And I think it's important for our listeners to understand these different linguistic details because they're so rich historically. We forget that, you know, Jesus didn't speak English. He certainly didn't speak the English of the King James Bible. No. Uh, But he spoke Aramaic, which is also now a dead language. But it's an ancient language of the Middle East, which is kept alive now through the Maronite liturgy. One of the jokes you told me when I was first learning about the Maronites, I remember that the Maronites would say to the, the Latin Rite Catholics who were very enthusiastic about celebrating Mass in Latin, they would say, you go ahead and have Latin. We'll use the words Jesus used. Yes, exactly. <laughs> use the same language our Lord used. And when you go to the Maronite Mass as a Latin Rite Catholic, what, what would you advise people to do who are visiting? Because it's a very different experience. Well, I tell them that from the minute they walk in the door, it's going to look different and they're going to notice several things. They're going to see icons, and they're not going to see statues. They're going to smell incense from the last liturgy. The music will be stranger because it's a lot of minor keys and that sort of thing. They're going to look to kneel down, and they're going to see that there's no kneelers. They'll see people coming in, bowing, and then they'll slip into the pew and stand and make their their prayers, then be seated. Because in the Eastern churches, especially in the Maronites, we don't kneel. The proper stance for us is to stand at the important points. We bow. There's a lot of movement for us. But we don't kneel except once a year on Pentecost. It's what we call the right of kneeling. Let us bow on the right knee, the left knee. But in the presence of God, we stand. 
So there's a very rich tradition of liturgical gesture, liturgical language, liturgical music, iconography, mm -hmm. which is so different. And is it therefore a kind of bridge to Eastern Orthodoxy? Are there links there, a shared history? There are, because in the Byzantine tradition, which is the Orthodox tradition, you're going to see a lot more bowing, a lot of use of incense, a multiple, multiple making of the sign of the cross on ourselves during the liturgy, where in the Latin liturgy it's only at the beginning and the end, basically. And then even the kiss of peace is so different, where in the Latin church we sometimes joke as priests, but we'll call it the five-minute near occasion of sin because everybody's hugging, kissing, running around, you know, <laughs> slapping people on the back. How you doing and, this morning? What you have for breakfast? Exactly. Oh, we'll see you at breakfast. Getting this hubbub back to trying to go into the communion ritual with mm -hmm. the Lamb of God. And it's like you're almost insulting people. You know, what do you mean you want me to stop? Mm -hmm. But we do it with joined hands, and it's extended to the people. It comes from the priest in the altar. The priest kisses the altar. He takes peace from the altar and the gifts, and then gives it to the priest, if there's other priests there, the deacon. It's given to the server, and then the servers bring it to the people, and then they take it and pass it to one another. So the gift of peace becomes a liturgical ceremony not just a sort of backslapping, how you doing this morning action. Exactly. And it also fulfills the gospel precept that if you have an argument with your brother, leave your gift at the altar, then make your peace and bring your gifts. And so for us, the kiss of peace occurs before the Eucharistic prayer begins. My guest today is Father Bart, Abuna Bart, the pastor of uh, St. Rafka's Maronite Church here in Greenville, South Carolina. I also want to encourage my listeners to go over to my website, DwightLongenecker.com. You can listen to the archived programs of More Christianity. There's over 50 of them now, all sorts of different guests that I've had week by week. Also, you can browse my books. You can get in touch with my blog and follow my archived articles. You can be in touch and drop me a line. That's my website, DwightLongenecker.com. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter. There's a sign-up place there that you can be in touch with me and uh, learn more about your Catholic faith. Father Bart, with the Eastern Rite churches having this kind of autonomy with their own liturgy, their own language, their own customs, and so forth, do you think that they influenced at all Pope Benedict's decision to start the what we call the Anglican Ordinariate or the Ordinariate for Anglicans? I think that's part of it. I think also, too, with the Anglicans to come in is that they were a break-off from the Roman tradition, and it was a way to welcome them back into the fold, but keeping some of the very beautiful and very valid traditions of the Anglican usage. But it is a completely different set of circumstances because this is the first time that a kind of uniat church has been brought into existence from one of the churches of the Reformation. This is true, but there's precedence, though, simply because we have breakaway churches of the East, so the Ruthenians, the Melkites, that broke away went to another independent church, the Orthodox, and then returned. Right. So in that case, the Anglican Ordinariate is, is more similar to the Uniat situation. Yes. For our listeners who aren't aware, the Anglican Ordinariate, which is properly called the Ordinariate of the Chair of St. Peter here in the U.S. and in England, the Ordinariate of Our Lady of Walsingham, is a new church structure that Pope Benedict has established by which former Anglicans and Episcopalians can also come into full communion with the Holy See and maintain their own liturgy, their own customs, and their own traditions, and a certain sense of autonomy. They have an ordinary who is sort of the equivalent, I suppose, of bishop. Uh, the ordinary, it has a particular geographical region. Here in America, it's based in Houston, Texas, 
the ordinary is a former Anglican priest, and he's serving and bringing lots of Episcopal former Anglicans into full communion with the Church. Do you think, Father Bart, just as the Maronite Church offers a welcome to Chaldeans and to others from the Middle East who aren't necessarily Lebanese and not necessarily even Maronites, but they share a kind of culture and share a tradition, do you think that the Anglican Ordinariate might actually provide a welcome for Protestants from other denominations as well who find that as an easy way or an acceptable way to come into the church? I do, and I think that that can be a great help because Protestants who may be looking to come into the church say, well, look, there are people over there that were in our same situation. They questioned, they pondered, and they found a vehicle within the Anglican Ordinariate to come into the church And since they were former Protestants, they will understand how I feel or some of the things I'm questioning. So I think it's a great gift to the church to have this new door. A new structure for them to come in Mm -hmm. and, and be accepted and part of the Catholic Church. Along with your own liturgy, your own customs, your own language, your own culture and the Maronite tradition, you also have your own saints. I'm thinking of St. Rafka and St. Chabelle. Can you tell us just briefly their stories? Well, it's interesting because they are saints in the universal church. Saint Rafka was canonized by Blessed John Paul II, and she died 100 years ago, March 23rd, and she was just a a simple nun known for her sanctity and her great suffering that she asked God for that so that she might suffer and join her suffering of body and soul to those of Christ on the cross for the remission of sin and for cleansing and forgiving of the world. And St. Rafka was living in Lebanon? She was a a Lebanese Lebanese nun. The other one who's quite famous is St. Charbel Maklouf, who was a monk in Lebanon, in the mountains of Mm -hmm. Lebanon. Basically, he was a hermit, but in a monastic order, and kind of parallels to St. Benedict in that He just gathered people around him that were looking to be directed. He just gave simple, straightforward ways on how to be holy in everyday life. He lived a life of asceticism, prayerfulness, and there was no duplicity about him. People understood that this was a holy man, that he lived what he preached, and They sought him in his counsel when he was living. He was a great confessor. Then when he died very early on, there were many miracles attributed to him. Finally, what can American Catholics who never heard of the Maronite Church and don't really know anything about the Eastern Rite Church, what can they do? Is it worth them visiting for Mass? They can fulfill their Sunday obligation by going to Maronite Church. They can fulfill their obligation, receive communion. They can go to confession to a Maronite priest. We don't have worship without a community gathering after. Sometimes you have a meal, sometimes it's just coffee, but the community gathers, especially some of the older people that don't speak English, they're able to have conversations in Arabic with their friends, but the kids get to play because we have a lot of extended family. They get to see each other at the church, and it's a great sense of community building, and and they show us the va- the value of family. They show us the value of community and how important it is. And the value of hospitality. hospitality Certainly, every time also. I've been to St. Rafka's, there's a warm-hearted welcome, a warm embrace, and as you say, plenty of good food and plenty of laughter. Today, my guest has been Father Bart Leon. He's the pastor of St. Rafka's Maronite Church, the only Maronite church in the state of South Carolina. Father Bart, thanks for being with us on More Christianity. Thank you, Father Dwight.